0: So this is our second installment of Backstories. We did, uh, we did it with Josh Butler last week, the author who works at Redemption Tempe. Um, this week we have Mike Robb and Eric Hendrickson who are part of our church uh, with us. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about just the thought of the backstories. Um, if you've been around uh, Redemption or my, my, um, just my teaching any amount of time, you know how much I love what I call the text behind the text. In other words, what's the story going on behind what we actually see? Uh, And so I love to go deep on things like that. And as I've gotten to know Eric and Mike, I think they both have, uh, first of all, related, um, but also deeply profound backstories that I wanted to be able to share with people in the congregation. I I hope we're also recording tonight um, so that we had a little bit of technical difficulty when we got started. Uh, it's mostly unscripted. Uh, I, I, I get to, the plan is to get together with people and tell them the direction I think it's going to go. But then we're really going to be in collaboration with the Holy Spirit as far as where we will actually go uh, when we talk. I can tell you we just nailed down our topic for um, for May um, and and who it's going to be. It's going to be uh, Chad D. Miguel and De Serafino and it's actually going to be a marketplace backstories. We're going to talk about. Uh, all the tension and angst and stress that we feel in the marketplace and, and uh, how the gospel might interact with that. Um, so I'm looking forward to that too, but I'm really excited about tonight uh, to let these two guys. When I asked both of them to come and do this, uh, they, don't, they didn't know each other. They've both been attending here for quite some time, but they didn't know each other. Uh, and I just had an idea that they might get along. And the Sunday that we met to kind of to get them together and kind of talk about what we're gonna do uh, with this time tonight, uh, within about 10 minutes, they started having their own conversation, which I struggled to follow because they're both really smart in the sciences, but um, they really hit it off and, and that's, uh, that's exciting a- as well. Um, the only other thing I wanna mention is that <clears throat> The point of this is never to promote anybody's products, like, but I also know that that's inevitable that that's going to happen. Um, when we brought Josh in, I said, look, the point is not to sell his books, but I also told Josh to bring a bunch of books because I knew people would want to buy his books, and they did. He, he, he sold almost 100 books that night. Um, both of these guys have uh, are involved in amazing um, vocations that are very successful. I happen to um, uh, be a customer of one of them but not the other and I will eventually uh, reveal which that is that but uh, so uh, I want you to welcome Mike Robb and Eric Hendrickson up here and then I'll tell you a little bit about them <clears throat> Looks different up here. so uh, are those on? Let's make sure. Test, test, test. Hello, hello. Okay, good. So um, I'll start with Eric. Eric uh, has a PhD in something. (laughs) 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 I've already asked throw something anyway. Aerospace engineering. Oh, aerospace engineering. I thought he was an astrophysicist, but he's an aerospace engineer. uh, And for uh, quite a while you worked for Uh, the military or or in association with building military components, right?
1: So, uh, not quite military, but uh, uh, NASA and JPL. uh, So, worked on some satellite projects. Uh, They weren't defense satellite projects, um, but, yeah. You built
0: thrusters, right?
1: Yeah, so my PhD was uh, looking at these little thrusters called post-plasma thrusters. And so... They don't generate a lot of thrust, like a bottle rocket generates more thrust than one of these. Uh they generate a lot of force in like a really short period of time. So maybe like, I don't know, ten thousand times faster than you can blink your eye. Really? Um okay. and so uh yeah, had a lot and, of neat and those opportunities would be attached to, to satellites? Yeah. So they'd help satellites precision point. Um okay. so you know, really fine tuning, you know, pointing an antenna or a camera. Uh, at something in space. So, got a lot of opportunities to hang out at NASA Glenn, uh, Air Force Research Labs in New Mexico, uh, Kirtland Air Force Base, and
0: yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, but then you left that, and you got a job with Ping. I did, The, the yeah. golf company, anybody here golf? Yeah, I know, Arcadia, for whatever reason, is not a big golf place, but maybe that's why you're Give it here, time. because you can be I- anonymous and incognito, right? So, anyway. And and you are just say again I, director of innovation and and Re- testing yeah, and testing Ping. for all Ping products. Yeah. So basically, I oversee all of our work, kind of doing
1: finding new materials for golf clubs, understanding golf physics, uh, as well as testing both those research uh, projects and products that are about to go to market.
0: Okay. And we have some videos of yours that we're eventually going to show uh, tonight, and then. Um, Mike was in school, and then the military grabbed you and decided that they wanted to make you a nuclear engineer. Is that right? That's so right. talk a little bit about that.
2: So when I got out of high school, up, I knew I was going to go in the military. Ended up going to uh, Georgia Military College. So if you hear a twang in my voice, that's <laughs> I'm I'm legally allowed to say y'all because I'm <laughs> from the south. Um, but while I was in military school, the Department of Energy came in and started recruiting. A program for uh, nuclear weapons development, and so I said, "What the heck is that?" And so they said, "It's a seventy-five thousand dollars sign-on buzz." I said, "I'm going to test for that." <laughs> so I tested it, and by the grace of God, got through the program and got into uh, the training program for the government.
0: Yeah. So you have a background in engineering and science and uh, mechanics.
2: Correct? Exactly. Yeah. When we when we didn't go through a typical college education because we, we were working with uh, security clearance materials for nuclear weapons. So you don't go to school and get a degree in that. So what happens is um, there will be scientists that will conduct oral boards, and they have their own training programs because it's all top secret stuff. So it's a little bit different training, but we had to go through you know mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, chemical engineering, and, of course, the nuclear part of it. Um, and so it gave me a really good insight in the whole profession of engineering as a whole.
0: And so then you uh, decided this was what you wanted to do ultimately with your life, and you went back to school. So talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I, uh, while we were, um, you know, I struggled with, with the after effect of something that I was contributing to, and that was, you know, my, my main part was working with Navy subs and developing weapons for that. But these are weapons of serious mass destruction, and um, you know, growing up as a Christian, I, I struggled through that. You know, my, is this something that I want to be proud about when I go to my grave, knowing that I contributed to something like this? Um, so you know, my life was a, was a about either forcing my way through doors or waiting for doors to open, and uh, so I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of this, and so. What happened was the military came back in my mind. I said, well, let me see if I can use this engineering training and get back into the military. So I started escorting foreign nationals that were UN inspectors that were looking for weapons of mass destruction. The reason that we got drafted into that because we had knowledge of unusual power supplies or we'd see 50 gallon drums with chemicals out in the military in a desert, then we would know there's probably something going on there that shouldn't be. And so I was escorting foreign nationals, went through a lot of tactical training for that, but, the, but still the end result was being trained to be a warrior is still something not very proud of. Um, so I struggled with that, and, and I you know, even my training, it was kind of like a metaphor of what I went through. And if, I had to, if we had to breach a door in other words, if the door was locked, and I really had to kick that door open then most likely there was a threat on the other side of that. But oddly enough, if there was a door that was unlocked, and it was open, you go through it, then the threat would be very, very low. So I, I started thinking about my life in that way. Uh, and then one thing led to another. I got out of the profession altogether. I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so instead of tearing people apart, I said, I want to put people back together. So. The only way I needed to do that was to get back and in, get into healthcare, and so I looked at different professions. I looked at you know physical therapy. I looked at you know orthopedic surgeon. I looked at nuclear medicine, um, and then I looked at chiropractic, and I said, well, you know, that's that's something that I could use my engineering training with. I wasn't sold on the whole profession as chiropractic. i still not. Um, so that's kind of how I got into healthcare, and at this point, I get to work with the greatest engineering thing on the planet. That was ever created, so it's a, uh, it's a blessing for me.
0: So um, that chi- that whole idea of uh, chiropractic medicine is interesting because um, it says you have you have your MD your doctorate in chiropractic medicine, and on your on your practice it says that you're a chiropractor, but you really don't practice chiropractic medicine. Right, and, and so I'll just say w- when people ask me about it because yep. I know of all the baggage that comes with saying well he's a chiropractor. I just say that you're a biomechanical health care provider. That's <laughs> that's what I say because that's essentially It's easier to process. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it sounds
0: more impressive
2: too, I think. Yeah. So. We when when I went through chiropractic school I used it as a stepping stone. And you know, I think when God was passing gifts out, he definitely forgot mine. But when I was in <laughs> chiropractic school, um, I started looking at the chiropractic training and then trying to infuse it with some engineering. So rather than taking somebody's neck and twisting it or the low body and twisting it, find out what structurally has happened there and undo that trauma and restore it to normal biomechanics. So I've been working on this concept for the past 20 years, working with patients and thousands, over 10,000. you know, I'm licensed as a chiropractor, but we define what we do in our clinic as joint biomechanics, and we're the only, this is the only clinic on the planet that does what we do. Yeah,
0: okay. So now, Eric, um, some of you may know who Eric's wife is. It's Tina Hendrickson, who plays keyboards for us quite often with the dark hair, y'all. Yeah, some of you just know Tina anyway. Um, She's and, amazing. Yeah, she is, uh, and she... Like, Jackie, in my life, was instrumental in in, uh, your journey with Christ, and I love that story, so.
1: Yeah, so, um, it's kind of interesting. So, uh, I came to faith through a dating relationship, and I always get that question of, like, was that Tina? Actually, wasn't. Um, And so, uh, you know, I went through, growing up, I had been uh, kind of exposed to God here and there and the gospel, but you know, uh, particularly with my dad and, you know, if he ends up listening to this, he'd acknowledge this of like, you know, it was just faith is a personal thing and it's not something you really talk about even within the context of family, you know, and he had, you know, people drinking purple Kool-Aid and waiting for comments and stuff is kind of right there at the forefront of his mind. So, you know, really just kind of wary of anything very organized. Um, And so, you know, growing up faith wasn't a big part of my life and, I felt that I was always kind of chasing happiness. So, you know, looking for contentment, and that could have been, you know, really pouring everything I had into a sport or, you know, thinking, well, happiness lies in partying or happiness lies in a dating relationship or, um, you know, and just kind of, in retrospect, it's kind of like, you know, author of Ecclesiastes saying it's like chasing the wind, right? And uh, in college, so second year of college, uh, I had started dating a girl who... Uh, was a believer, family, strong family of believers, and uh, just got to a point where I was, and I don't know why her family let her date me, it's beyond me, because <laughs> I wasn't a believer, and, you know, um, and, but we dated for two years, and in that, uh, in that process, I was just struggling with, all right, I'm, I was looking for her to kind of fill that, you know, thing that was missing in my right. life. And uh, she said, you should talk to my dad, you know, uh, and I was like, okay. Um, and I, I don't know why I did. I actually was pretty intimidated going and talk to him, but, you know, and he, he basically kind of laid out, he's like, look, there's vocational happiness and then there's personal happiness. And he, and he said, you know, vocational happiness is kind of what you're trying to seek right now with, you know, I was pouring myself into school and, um, and he's like, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but personal happiness is something that comes outside all these circumstances. And then he laid out the gospel and he said, Hey, uh, he gave me like a little book of John basically. And it's like, Hey, you should read this. It's like, okay. Uh, and so, and you just preached on this, I think a week ago or two weeks ago. Uh, I didn't get very far. I got to John four and the woman at the well. Yeah. And I read that. And when Jesus said to this gal, Hey, you know, Uh, I know you're not married, uh, but you've been married, you know, five times before, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And you drink of this, the water that's in this well, you're going to thirst again, but drink of the water I give you, you know, have everlasting life, right? And so to me, I read that, and I was like, oh, she's been seeking her happiness in all these men and not finding it and being left empty. And Jesus is basically just saying, look, you're still going to be empty if you keep, you know, uh, and to me, that was just like, "Whoa, this is it, right? This is this is a reflection of my life. I've been searching for happiness and all these different things." And uh, and so that was when I kind of began. Uh, you know, I chatted with uh, you know this girl's dad again, and he's like, "Hey, you should go to Grace Community Church down in Tempe. They got a college group. I met Chris Gonzalez, uh, yeah. who you know, another yeah. pastor in the valley." And uh, um, and we actually ended up splitting up, which was really hard. But I realized that needed to happen because. I had entered into that dating relationship looking for her to fulfill that kind of hole in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and really, I, I think when we broke up, that was where kind of my faith kind of became real, right? It was my own. And right after that, I went on a... On a it was a college missions trip to inner-city Arlington, of all places. Um, <laughs> and then we went to, like... It's a whole other story. But Tina was on that trip, and that's when we met. And we just hit it off... Um, it was an interesting trip because, you know, we were going off to this, you know, Christian concert thing in a big field, uh, you know, out in the middle of Texas, which I had some interesting, my dad called me up and said, what are you doing? Are you sure you're not, like, going out there and, like, wearing robes and stuff and, you know, be careful and, you know, and, and Don't so drink anything. I, I respected that, right? And I'm like, okay, I understand where you're coming from, but I think we're going to be all right. Um... <laughs> And uh and so that's really I think where and then Tina and I didn't start dating right away. We got to know each other over a period of probably two years, uh, through the college group there at Grace. Uh and then we took a math class together, partial differential equations. So uh <laughs> that was where uh, that was where all the magic happened. And uh, uh in a math class. So uh yeah, we started dating and uh, you know, year and a half later we got married and we've been married uh 12 years so
0: and she's a brilliant math teacher right she
1: is so she studied math and then she taught junior high math for a while uh and then when we had Ethan our uh who's now 8 uh she decided to stay home and then she just went back and she's now teaching uh, she's actually at an open house tonight so um she uh she's back teaching elementary math now facing so all tonight, right? facing all the parents yeah so Two kids, Ethan and Samantha, they're uh, six and eight, so, yeah, they're fun. Right.
0: So, um, now, Mike, you get, you get to talk about um, Sylvia and your kids, so tell us a little bit about that and how how Sylvia might be involved in your faith walk, too. You said you grew up in the church, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? Right, right.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I had a pretty wild background. I mean, obviously, you can look at me and tell that, right? <laughs> um, but I knew I needed to be grounded. I just couldn't. I couldn't find the right person to do that. Um, But I saw my parents. My father was a Catholic. My mother was a Southern Baptist. And they, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and so I said, (laughs) there's no way that, there's no way that, you know, the the minister even refused to marry him because he said, there's no way you you guys are going to make this. So uh, (laughs) my mother won that battle and they are still married to this day and raised me and my brother and you know in Southern Baptist Church. I've been to a lot of churches. I've been to Creflo Dollars Church. Wow. Um, I went to you know because I, I think what I saw my mom and dad do, they compromised and made it work, right? And they kept Jesus in the center. Um, so I went in to, and if somebody would invite me to church, I'm sure I'll go. And I went to a church where there was literally the the minister was banging on the drums, um, speaking in tongues, falling out. I, the only church I didn't go where was rattlesnakes involved, but uh, <laughs> I went to a whole bunch of different ones. So um, I never really connected to one church. I was just somebody would invite me to church. I'd go for five, six months. Somebody would invite me to church. I'd go to another one. And then I uh, ended up in school in Atlanta, and I was teaching actually there part-time, and that's when I met Sylvia. She was actually a student, which is the ultimate no-no, right? You're not supposed to. <laughs> so you know, and plus, you know, when I saw her, I was like, wow, you know, I'm almost out of here. I don't need, I don't need that because I knew she was just starting. And this is like a six-year process. But still kept thinking there was something special about her. Um, and then we end up, well, I was in student clinic. And then she faked a car accident. So she could get in, so I started working on her back. And I didn't know this till later, but anyway. <laughs> so it ended up working, right? Um, so we, we, you know, she, she really focused me, invited me to the church that she went to. Um, you know, Sylvia's sister Danielle is in here. They're Serbian, and they go to a very, very conservative church. And so we were in Atlanta. She invited me. She was all nervous. And I said, listen, I've been to every church under the sun. Don't be nervous about it. I'm coming with you. We'll go. And our relationships really started to strengthen there. The other problem was that she's 13 years younger than me. So I'm thinking, OK, how is this going to work? Because I knew you know, a traditional Serbian way, you have, to, you have to call and ask permission you know, to court and definitely have to ask permission to get you know to ask to get married, so we met you know as I mentioned in school we we spent a lot of time together a lot of quality time we were probably about six months before I was about to graduate, <clears throat> and then move out to Arizona, so uh, we knew at that time the school was going through some accreditation issues and I think this was all this by the grace of God. Um, and then she just said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to continue school here. Uh, if you're going to Arizona, I want to go. And so I said, well, let's, let's do it the right way. She goes, well, you need to call my dad and ask him. I'm like, OK. So I I call call uh, Laza is his name. I say, Laza, um, this is Mike. Um, and you know that me and Sylvia have been together for a little while. I want to ask your permission you know, to get married. And he says, I'll think about it. And just, <laughs> so, Sylvie's like, What'd he say? What'd he say? I said, It didn't go good. <laughs> so, anyway, um, Sylvie's mother called back and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straighten him out. It's, it's going to work out for you, too. And, uh, <laughs> and it did. So, we ended up coming out to Arizona and working hard together and raised two kids uh, Dario and Natalia, and uh, two amazing kids, really hard workers. Um, We've, we've put a lot of effort into building this type of practice that we have, um, and sometimes at the expense of being good parents. So keeping them involved with church as an extension of our family, because we don't really have any other family other than Danielle here, um, it's worked well. And we ended up through somebody else coming to this church together and uh, absolutely fell in love with it. And that's our situation. So now you know way too much about me.
0: Yeah. So, I have to do this now. I'll just get this out of the way. Um, When you become a doctor, you have to take the Hippocratic Oath, which essentially says you will do no harm. Correct. Correct, okay. So, does anybody anybody ever heard of Hippocrates? Okay, so we have a picture of Hippocrates? (laughs) (laughs) See, he was destined for this. That's Uh, that's the
2: look I've been going
0: for. (laughs)
2: eerie similar isn't it
0: yeah so anyway thanks Hippocrates appreciate that we'll come back to you in a second so um Eric you were working on these thrusters and then what happened that led you to actually look at essentially the recreation industry yeah and how and and how you actually battled with your faith in the midst of that
1: yeah so I think I had been given these opportunities I think God had given me a lot of neat opportunities and what appeared to be preparing me for a career in the aerospace industry. Um, And uh, the first kind of turn was when Tina and I got married, and we were really involved with a lot of international students at ASU, had a lot of friends that were one of my closest friends, went over as a missionary to Turkey. Tina spent three summers over in Turkey uh, serving over there. And so we felt like we were being called to go over as educators. Not necessarily, like, go over, work overseas, be part of a community over there, live as believers in the midst uh, of others overseas. And, uh, and so, you know, I was like, all right, great. I'll get my, my, you know, graduate degree. I could go over and teach at a university. Tina could teach at maybe one of the American schools. We had this all planned out. And then in 2009, Tina's dad passed away. Um, and so he was battling uh, mantle cell lymphoma so that kind of changed kind of that whole plan and, uh, and so I was finishing up and I was looking for jobs in the valley because I didn't feel like I could pull Tina up and, you know, and neither did I want to leave for mom and, uh, and so I was, I was looking at general dynamics and orbital and teaching, I was teaching over at Chandler Gilbert Community College while I was finishing up my dissertation uh, and there was this posting at Ping and I was like just kind of saw it randomly. I'm like, man, that'd be fun. (laughs) Like I don't, I, I grew up playing tennis. Like I've always been really involved in sport. Uh, I'll just throw a resume out there and just see, you know, got a call, went in for an interview. It went really well. Um, and then, you know, I got the job offer and I remember, I remember calling Chris up, Chris Gonzalez. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know what I should do here. Right. I had this, Felt like I had this really noble pursuit. We were going to move overseas. We were going to impact lives. And and now I'm going to go, like, make recreation equipment for people to enjoy their retirement, right? And I'm like, I just <laughs> read, like, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, right? And he's talking about people collecting seashells in Florida. And I'm like, I feel like I'm enabling that. Uh, so I really had to think through, all right, what, what does this look like? If I ended up going and working for this company, how could I do this and honor God and, and serve Christ in that? And so kind of initially it's like, okay, you know, uh, talk a lot about just God's, uh, you know, uh, kind of design for Sabbath and to recreate and to enjoy creation. I'm like, okay, going out, playing golf is just like, it's, it's a way to enjoy, uh, enjoy creation. It's a way to uh, build community um, and it's a way to kind of, in a certain way, honor this kind of creation mandate. So I'm like, okay, I'm kind of developing a bit of a theology of how golf can fit into, uh, you know, and...
0: It's amazing what we can do theologically when we really want something, right?
1: <laughs> Just, you know, yeah. Um, and so, and I and I started actually looking into the company a little bit more, and I realized that Karsten, uh, he and his wife, Louise, were, uh, you know, really strong in their faith, and I didn't know that, um, and I kind of realized, wow, okay, there's a there's a foundation here at Peng that's a little bit different, um, and I started talking to some people and kind of realizing, okay, um, you know, they do things for the right reason, and, uh, you know, and and so when I got the job there, I'm like, okay, I'll be here about two years, and I'll go, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I justified it enough to say I could be here for a little bit, um, and as I got to know some of the, I remember one of the owners had just had lunch with him, and he repeated this of like we're in the business of hope, um, and uh, you know, and that really struck me of like okay, what does that mean, and 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 how does that flesh itself out, you know, as we're designing golf clubs, um, and where my boss had actually started a program called the Adaptive Golf Program, uh, and it was. Um, basically, a, a full program trying to help people with disabilities enjoy the game of golf. So these might have been people who were born with a disability, or people who enjoyed the game of golf and then maybe had to have you know a limb amputated uh, and wanted to still enjoy that game. And so I started working on different projects uh, to help people with various disabilities enjoy the game of golf. And so it was, on one hand, just a blessing uh, from an engineering standpoint because they're just really intriguing problems, right, to try and solve. But at the same time, it was this opportunity to, um, you know, really give a foretaste of that age to come when all things will be made right. So being able to help somebody enjoy the game of golf, maybe for the first time, or to enjoy it after experiencing maybe sometimes a traumatic injury that caused them to not be able to enjoy it the same way they used to, uh, I was like, man, this is really cool. This is a neat opportunity to be able to do that, use the skills that, and the resources that we have at paying to be able to, you know, provide hope and help people just even enjoy and, and kind of give that foretaste. You know, Jesus was he didn't heal everybody, but, you know, he, he heals all of our souls and, you know, in a way that's that's giving that foretaste of that kingdom uh, that that we have to look forward to. And so. you work
0: somewhere where they value that
1: they do. And so and, they're not
0: necessarily concerned with return on investment, but rather not at all. Making making creation better.
1: Yep, yep. And that's I mean that's for and that's really the philosophy even, even behind helping somebody you know go out and enjoy the game of golf you know even if they are not they don't experience a disability, um, and that's really what you know I think uh, you know David meant when he said we're we're in the business of hope and and, yeah. and, and bringing hope through what we do, um, and the way we do it as a company.
0: So that gives me hope, because if we can make golf golf theological, we can certainly make hockey theological. <laughs> so that does give me I'm hope. I'm glad I could, uh, yeah, help you, you come Eric. to that. So uh, could we dim the lights and maybe let Eric take us through a, some of the videos of the products he's developed? Yeah, so this is Andreas
1: Brandenberger. He has a condition called Focomelia, and it's, it's a bit in the shadow, but he was born with only developed uh, arms and so he has about uh, just a little bit below the elbow uh, on on each arm. So we're able to design, that's a like a 52 inch shaft uh, with a paddle and so uh, the the paddle goes under his lead arm and he's able to uh, brace it under his lead arm and then use his right uh, right arm to then swing the golf club. And you see, he's, he's, uh, it's pretty impressive to watch him swing. I love watching him swing.
0: Try it again. Is that? Right? OK. Yeah, there, there we go. So this is him.
1: This is our facility here at Peng. You can kind of see that paddle under his arm. Um, and uh, yeah, you can see how long that shaft is. It definitely bows quite a bit. But uh, yeah, it's, I've played a couple rounds with him. It's a lot of fun.
0: Um, yeah. So you play too? You play golf too? I do, okay.
1: yeah, it's, Good. you know, occupational,
0: right. I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I read the Bible occasionally, that's cool. All right, yeah. um,
1: next video. So this is Jeff Lewis. He uh, he was actually one of the first guys that I had the opportunity to work with. He's a quadruple amputee, so he had some complications due to a staph infection where, um, you know, he lost uh, parts of both of his arms and and legs, and so... Uh, we worked with a prosthetics expert to kind of develop, uh, you know, we were like, hey, do we use your lead arm or your trail arm? One of our engineers started talking to him about, like, fusing stuff to his bone, which <laughs> he was like, ah, do you know how painful bone surgery is? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, and then we ended up kind of putting a mechanism in there where he could snap in and out clubs. Um, and so uh, he's out and he plays a lot. Jeff is an amazing guy. Um, you know, I love talking to him.
0: Do, um, do we have other videos? Maybe one more. Yeah.
1: So this is oh, Steve okay. Winter, and so this is um, him at the range. And this is actually a neat. There's two uh, carts that really help people play the game of golf when maybe they, they have some paralysis uh, in the lower body. And so this is called a paragolfer, um, and uh, it helps. Uh, and so Steve is another one of the one of the early folks that uh, we worked with as part of the adaptive golf program. So. Um, you know, I've worked with blind golfers. Um, working with somebody right now who's in a
0: wheelchair. Um, okay, okay. You said blind golfers.
1: Yeah, it's really. Uh, it's fun. There's a, um, sometimes it's somebody who has kind of a degenerative condition okay. where their their sight gets worse and worse, and so they've kind of come in and and had the you know skills to play golf, but then they've gradually lost their vision, and then other times it's. Um, people who've never had their sight. And so you're allowed, there's an official blind golf association, you're allowed to play with a caddy. Um, and so the wow. caddy can line you up and set you up um, to swing. And so some of the things we do for blind golfers, a lot of kind of tactile grips so they can feel where the face is pointed. Um, they're really sensitive to you know wow. changes in weight or swing weight, so building clubs in such a way that they can feel where the head is. And uh, um, yeah, so it's a okay, lot of fun. So th-
0: something just hit me. I I don't play golf, but I've talked to people who love golf, and they talk about this incredible joy that they can get from playing golf when they hit that perfect shot. You too can have that
1: joy, Frank. (laughs) (laughs) We can make that happen. Uh,
0: Or or have a good round. I I had lunch with a guy today who um, in his 40s went from shooting like 110, 115 into the 90s, and very exciting. And and, and so I, I'm beginning to understand, especially for somebody who played golf and then has some, some trauma, they just don't want to give up that joy. And, yeah. and you're providing that yep. for many of these people, right?
1: Yep, okay. exactly.
0: Um, is there one more of somebody putting? OK.
1: Yeah, so this is Chris Jackson. Uh, so he's actually uh, he's similar to Andreas and that he, uh, he was born with Focamelia. And so this is in our putting lab. Uh, and we got him an extra long putter, and again, he's kind of using uh, the top end under his right arm, uh, and then uh, you know putting with the left. Uh, so Chris is a good guy. He came in from the Chicago area, uh, and we, every, you know, when it gets to something like this, everything everything we do is custom. Uh, but his solution was even different than what Andreas's solution was. Uh, but what's really cool is a lot of these folks. Just I think we're all, you know created in the image of God. And there's this uh, creativity that lives in us. And almost all these folks, when they've come in, they've already tried to prototype solutions to help them play. Jeff Lewis was like that. Andreas was like that. And a lot of times, it's taking their initial concepts and just taking some of our resources and maybe some of the lessons we've learned over the years and just helping them take their idea and make it just a little bit more better and a little bit more efficient. Uh, It's just really cool to see that.
0: That's really awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm encouraged and inspired by that. Hi, anybody know any of those? Here you go, backstories, a little promotion for the. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Okay. Just please say it's interesting. I'll feel better. Okay, good, yeah. I'll feel right. better, too. <laughs> so um, now I want to set up what I want to ask you next, Mike, is um, something that I do. Most of you know I like to stand out by the rocks and greet. Uh, before the services, and talk to people. And um, over time, if I see a family or somebody uh, coming back time and time again, and yet they've never uh, talked to me or engaged or anything like that, sooner or later, I might just, the Spirit prompts me to walk up and hand them my card and say, I want to I wanna get together with you for coffee and just hear your story. And so I did that with you and, and Sylvia one day, and then we got together, and we met for like two hours and it was pretty incredible. And you asked me, you invited me into the practice to kind of get analyzed and uh, and see w- what it was about. And then right after that, I was in your office, and I heard the office people talking about a medical conference that you were going to be speaking at, and it was in Tempe at the Tempe Center for the Arts. And I, <laughs> I went over to the um, to the people working there, and I said can I get a ticket to that? I'd really like to go to that and hear Mike speak. And they said, yeah, we'll get you a couple of tickets. And so uh, I got the tickets. It was on a Saturday morning. You were the third or fourth speaker. I can't remember, but I knew when your slot was. And uh, Jackie was supposed to go with me. Jackie's here tonight. And then she gets called into to work. She can't go. And so I was going to go alone. And then just, I don't know, again, prompting from the Holy Spirit. And I said, I wonder if Barb would, would like to go. So I called up Barb I said, "Hey, do you want to go to this thing? You might be interested in it." And and the funny thing about Barb, I didn't know this at the time, but Barb's like allergic to chiropractic medicine. <laughs> like, "No." Okay, but I said, "You need to would you go to this thing with me? Meet me there and let's go listen to this guy speak." And you spoke for half an hour. And it was amazing. I mean, we were riveted, right? And, and but the best part for us anyway was about 20 minutes in and you you can recreate this in your words, but this is what I remember. About 20 minutes in, uh, you said, you know, I think I'm going to lose some of you now, but I want to talk about how God has made the body. And that's an important part of my practice. And we were just like, this is unbelievable. So the gospel and, and the creator himself is a big deal to your practice. And you even said during that, during that talk, you talked about how uh, the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and we need to take care of it because of that. We need to honor it because of that. So talk about how that drives so much of what you do in your practice.
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the guy that drives with a, a fish on the back of the car because I drive with road rage, so I wouldn't want to do that <laughs> people. I'm the guy that's in your mirror. But when I get a crowd of people in front of me, I'm going to cram it down their throat. And I'm gonna make sure that they know that there's there's this big bang theory coming from a nuclear engineer who's involved with healthcare, who's involved looking at the human body like an engineer, not a chiropractor. Um, I cram it down people's face that this is is not by chance. And I worked with a lot of complicated things, I'm sure we both have, and it doesn't even compare to how complicated the human body is. And so anytime I'm speaking, I always try to, try to take that dig at the ones that I know that are out there that believe in this evolution stuff. Um, and I love the debate. I love to get in people's face and make them understand that this creation stuff can be debunked left and right. Um, so every time that I am doing a conference somewhere or I do a lot of stuff on Fox News, although they will, they will sound bite some of that stuff out when I get a little too far on that side, but um, I always try to, to use that platform to make people think, number one, just how incredibly valuable the life and the body is that you have and how, you know, I told this to several people um, as an analogy, and I hope it's not too offensive, but um, if you just moved to town and Jesus owned an apartment complex and you wanted to rent an apartment from Jesus, how would you take care of that apartment? I mean, think about that, because that's really what you have. You are you should you have a great responsibility to maintain your health. And so I try to teach people that, you know, a temple, of the Holy Spirit uh, is something that I don't take lightly, uh, especially when I've been in situations where it can be taken away from you real quick. So you put a value on it. But the everlasting value on it is just knowing that this incredible creation the the miracle of life um, and how much you really should take responsibility to optimize your health while you're here on earth because if you're optimizing your health if we're taking care of those that are preaching then the Word of God can be spread and that's really what we're we're all called to do
0: that's really good so um, next thing I want to hit is something that both of you started talking about when we met and that—that is—I um, I need you to maybe set this up a little bit, Mike, with uh, flexion and extension, and then how flexion and extension are involved in the golf swing. <laughs> right? Remember, you guys talked about that. Okay, so kind mean, of, kind of, just do yeah. that. Do your, do your little scientist thing with well, all of that. Okay. The. Uh, you want to do some science?
2: <laughs> the common denominator with what we're both doing is—is is really the essence of biomechanics, right? The body is biochemical, it's also biomechanical, there's an emotional spirit part. Um, as soon as
1: you put a club in somebody's hands, that's now a biomechanical implement, right? Yeah, that's so. right.
2: I mean, it's so we, I, after doing this for 20 years, you start seeing a pattern. What is bringing people into the office? What type of injuries are bringing people in the office? And, and what I've narrowed it down to is excessive flexion. So the more flexion that we do, The more what we call engineering stress is placed upon the most mechanical entity in the human body is the spinal column. So um, these injuries are brought on by flexion, and so we were talking about how do you how do you you study the biomechanics of a golf swing for flexion and extension, and this is how we got into talking about this stuff.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of we get approached by a lot of coaches who are trying to understand how to you know swing uh, more efficiently, and a lot of times they're they're they have their own business, so they have philosophies that they're trying to even validate. So they'll they'll come up to you and be like, doctor, would you agree if I said, you know, and <laughs> and it could be with a golf club. It could be about, you know, all right, if I, you know, should somebody be uh, early extending during the early part of the downswing? Or, you know, uh, when should they do that? And does it lead to injury? How did Tiger get injured? Would you agree if I said this? And so, um, you know, you end up having to kind of navigate those discussions and, um you know, and ultimately deliver what you know is the truth, right? So
2: When we, when we met in his office, um, I, I think we have seen each other, but we have never really had the opportunity to speak with one another. And, and so we got to talking about some of our backgrounds, uh, some of the government projects and stuff. Uh, I worked on a mission called the Cassini Mission, that was we developed a fuel so that these spaceships could travel to saturn and study the rings on saturn we had conversations about that and then the conversation was oh well, you know you're into golf now let me tell you my golf story i had these two guys show up that you know they knew that i had made videos and had been teaching around the country about trying to minimize flexion or make sure do some type of extension to counterbalance that um, and then they wanted to use me for a pond to basically support their golf swing which they said was extension at the end of it. Now, I'm not going to get into any names of who that is, but we won't do that. So he we we all um, right away started talking about. He's like, "I know who those two guys are and they <laughs> wanted me to go to Germany and Switzerland with them and I'm like, I can't do that." So so but it, we but we 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 had that common factor about golf plus I grew up in Augusta of all places. Yeah.
0: Rough. So, so stand up okay. and just show what flexion is to so make sure people understand exactly what flexion is and why why it's so, a problem.
2: So here you are on a phone, or here you are bending over, right? So working that, on a computer, that, that range of motion, yeah. yeah. So ergonomically, you know, we're in flexion. So when we are in flexion, it causes structural malalignments in the spinal column, which the vertebra will go backwards. So when they go backwards they will impinge the nerves where the openings in the spinal column where the nerves come off the spinal cord. So when those openings narrow, that's called spinal stenosis. And that's really what our specialty is, um, is not only identifying spinal stenosis by using engineering principles like heat differential, delta T, these kind of things, Um, weight-bearing films instead of lying on a back on an MRI where it's not under load, so, we try, to, we try to look at the body and use engineering even in, in our diagnostics. Um, but spinal stenosis is the number one reason for back issues. It's the number one reason for um, back surgeries in this country. And everybody who has a spine has spinal stenosis. Just like everybody who has a car has the front end out of alignment, because in engineering we call that entropy. So, everything that's mechanical has to be maintained. So, this is how I educate people to maintain their bodies on the mechanical side of things.
0: So um, extension would be like, well, I'll just tell you that you, you should get, get one of those big balls and lay on it on your back, right?
2: Well, the extension is really what if you're sitting up straight, and everybody starts doing this now, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't sit up straight, right? <laughs> but what's a lumbar support do? When you get in your car and you crank that thing out, it moves your body forward. Right? So it's moving the structure, the mechanical structure, of the spinal column forward. And when that happens, the diameters will open up where the nerves exit off the spinal cord. So essentially that's the, the physics behind the science of a lumbar support is that it forces your spine into somewhat of extension because it's flexion that causes these detrimental effects and injuries.
0: So... You know, Jackie is an ACE-certified group fitness instructor, and she's been in, involved in personal training and fitness and all that all of her life. She knows more about the body than I do. I'm a runner, and I'm always complaining about chronic injuries. But she's my wife. She's play golf. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I hear people get really hurt doing that. So all the time. Yeah, um, but she's my wife, so we don't listen to our parents, and we don't listen to our spouses, right? So she's used to this. So. For years, she's been saying, you know, I got that ball, you know, in, in, in that one room. You know, you, you need to use the ball. You need to use the ball. You need to use the ball. And then I saw you the first time, and you said, hey, you know those balls that are like twenty-five dollars, you know? And so of course I came home, Jackie. Where's that ball? Okay, so, uh, it, it, but that's true, you know. Isn't that right? Isn't that what? I, yeah. And and, that, and it wasn't. It by the way, it didn't have quite enough air in it for me, so I made her take it down. To work and get the air put it But anyway, that's just so you, anyway, I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, yeah. The extension over a ball, probably one, one of the most valuable things you can do to combat this thing called entropy, which is the constant pursuing of disorder. Right?
1: Can't win. Can't win.
2: <laughs> I, I I think I'd even mention it at that talk when I when I said something about faith. Even our faith is subjected to entropy. If you don't work at it then it will fade away. I mean, think about that. So these laws that God put out there for us, they apply to everything. But you have to have a good understanding of what they're all about. And
0: that brings me back to something that Eric said earlier, and I forgot to, to mention this. Um, you said that first girlfriend you had, whose father you had those conversations with about faith, and got you into the Gospel of John, and, and that's when really you started your journey with Jesus and you said that you ended up breaking up with her it was really hard but that's when your faith became real to you now we've been saying that for a long time here that that faith is really developed under adverse conditions under tribulation rather than just having things yeah. always going well so there's another testimony to that to that idea of of what faith is so so i want to ask uh, we've got about uh, uh, 25 minutes left I want to ask each of you let me check my notes first oh one more thing and then I'll ask each of you a question uh, that I think you know is coming and then if we have time maybe there's maybe give you a little time to think about maybe some questions you might want to ask um, before we wrap up if we have time but great um, so uh, Mike you've written one or two books too. But, but the third one is finishing up now. You think it'll be out in another six months, a couple months. And, and um, one of your partners is helping you um, with writing it, John, who also attends here. Uh, at, he and his wife, uh, Mary, attend here at Redemption Church, which they do because you guys started coming here. So thank you for that. Um, but this is really about this new, a lot more about this process that you've been developing. So we, have a, we can look forward to a book coming out soon yeah. about this too.
2: Okay. This, this book is really, um, it's a culmination of this system that has, the doors have opened for me, so to speak. And I really feel like I've been guided to, to fill this gap in healthcare that is way different than chiropractic. It's different than physical therapy, because physical therapy is something that we need. But this is more on the structure or the mechanical side of things. And then infusing it with science so that's accepted in neurology, accepted in orthopedics, because currently there is not one natural approach to treating spinal stenosis, and this is what we have developed in our clinic. And we've been using military technology. We use thermography, looking at heat differential in people's backs, and so all kind of crazy things, the research that we've been doing in the office that I've decided to go ahead and write a book that describes this. And then once this book is done, start doing some interviews, we're gonna, we're gonna take this and franchise this system all over the world, yeah. basically.
0: So the, here's the other thing, before I ask you that question, Eric. Um, I mentioned that I got to know Mike and Sylvia uh, through a coffee. Um, you and Tina started coming here, and Chris Gonzalez called me up and said, hey, you need to know that uh, Eric and Tina Hendrickson are, are going to your church now, and they're really terrific people. And, and mainly so, Tina but, well but that was what uh, I, you know I think maybe I need to have coffee with Eric and we had coffee together take one guess where we had coffee Lucy's yeah we had coffee at Lucy's and um, just that one hour spending with you opened up this huge door of who you are what the gospel is meant to you and your vocation you and your relationship with your wife you and your relationship with your family and your kids um and, and, and it, it just, again, further validates the idea of just reaching out and asking people to tell their story. You know, um, uh, Who's the, uh, the neighborhood guy? Mr. Rogers. Uh, he carried around for decades in his, in his uh, wallet uh, a quote from a social worker that said, I don't think there's anybody you couldn't learn to love if you were able to hear their story. And, and that's really important. And so it just, you started opening up this door and I don't even like golf, you know, and, and, and you opened up this door and it was just amazing how the gospel. Still working on you. I know. We'll get there. But, but the gospel affects what you do. So I think that's, that's, that's amazing. And it, and, it, and again, it, it solidifies this idea of gospel invocation, which we're trying to get at so much.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's, I think there's kind of two elements to it. There's the kind of the specifics of what you do, but then there, I think there's some things that just kind of are overarching no matter what you do. Um, I think one of the pieces of advice that was probably one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was put others' careers above your own. And that was a really hard thing for me to wrap my mind around, and I really respected the person who told me that, but I was like, what is that? But then it really hit me. like, that's just the crux of it. G- you can't do that without... Really having the gospel transform you. I mean, that's just like that's Philippians two, right there, right? Exactly, right. You know, put others' interests ahead of your own. Yeah. Um, You know, and Christ not, you know, uh, think equality with God was a thing to be grasped. And without understanding that, I think I don't do that well. You know, but I think that's something that transcends just what you do, uh, but really is just how you live in whatever situation you find yourself in. And that's when God's really, through the Holy Spirit, allow me to do that. It's been some of the most rewarding seasons uh, of my time, whether it was at paying or as a student or, or wherever. So.
0: That's good. So um, is there a question that uh, I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked you, or that maybe one of these? I'm going to start with you, Eric.
1: You're going to start with me? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I had
0: a, there's got to be a question I didn't ask that you would love to be able to answer. So what is it? And what's well, the answer?
1: Well, I think you you, you kind of hit on it, but I think, so, to me, if I'm kind of sitting in the audience, like, the things that I always, when somebody shares their story, just really hit me are, um, you know, kind of, how do you balance work and kids and everything in your season of life? And the other is, you know, has there been a time where you've really questioned your faith? Um, I, I'll answer that one. I think, okay. you know, getting a job at Ping was like, okay, you know, I'm grappling with it a little bit, but I did enough gymnastics to overcome that one, right? Um, I think the other time in my life, so I mentioned that uh, my wife's dad had uh, passed away in 2009, mm-hmm. and right before that, um, a really good friend of mine who I'd known since grade school took his own life. Tina's dad was just a phenomenal guy, just strong, strong believer. Just, you know, uh, there was... A lot of sadness and grief, but also a lot of hope when he left this earth. Uh, With my friend, who took his own life, it was much more uncertain. And I I really grapple with that because I never had, you know, we had a lot of conversations. He was really into philosophy. And so I remember just like sitting Mm -hmm. on his roof when I had first become a believer and kind of talking to him about it. And, you know, sharing what I was learning and we talked about it. But um I really, it was a tough spot because yeah. I was around a lot of people who were reading like John Owen and Jonathan Edwards and John Calvin, just anybody named John. Yeah. Just really reformed, <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, theology. And so I had kind of like felt like I had my faith kind of worked out, right? I, mm-hmm. I kind of understood it all. And then, you know, uh, with Nathan and, and and Doug, it was just like, man, I don't know. I really grapple with that i was kind of angry at god there were some things about just what's just are you just god how not really even understanding the dynamics of you know just soteriology and all this stuff like salvation and well i with nathan you know what do th- things don't look good right and and, and there was this kind of almost lack of hope but i wanted some hope and yeah. i'm still really try and grasp for hope in that context but have kind of come to a place from like okay this is god in your hands you ultimately know and i kind of got to step back and say i know my who you are i know your character and i'm gonna rely on knowing that you are just and you are good and you know and, and and grab onto that rather than trying to figure out all the little details and predict and all that and so um yeah i think that for me was a you know, and, and and Tina and I just walked through that together. She was grieving, and yeah. we're grieving in different ways, and grief kind of pops itself up at different points in time. And, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't think you ever really overcome that stuff, you know. Yeah. It, um, and so, but yeah, I mean, it was just tough. And, uh, you know, by God's grace, he surrounded both Tina and I with a lot of people who just loved on us, sat and listened. Um, didn't try and, like, give me, like, you know, there's every once in a while you get that, we just need to be this way, and it'll be all be okay. And it's like, yeah. I, it's okay to, you're coming to just be comfortable with grieving, and that's not a bad thing. And questioning. Um, and questioning. Asking and, the question. You know, it's, I don't remember where it is in the Psalms, but I remember Keller, in one of his uh, kind of sermons, talked about, you know, uh, David at the end of one of the Psalms of just like, turn your face away from me, God, so I can have some peace before I die. And uh, Keller's like, man, I read that Psalm, and I'm like, that's psalms aren't supposed to end like that, right? Yeah. You're you're supposed to end the psalm with you praising God. Like you're not supposed to end it with this. Mm-hmm. Uh and Kelly just talked about that of like, look, it's safe. It's safe to do that with God. It's safe to be honest and and, and and share your just raw emotions with him. Yeah. Um, he's not gonna he's not gonna turn his face away from you, yeah. right? Uh and that was just huge for me to to just understand that, and it really, through that, strengthen my faith, right? Yeah. Um, so,
0: yeah. Yeah, good. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Mike, how about you? Something of work, maybe?
2: Okay. Actually, maybe a couple I, things? Yeah, I'm thinking there's two, but I'm going to go on the lighter side of this one. Okay. All right, so um, in my office, periodically I'll have interns that will come in. They're still in school, or getting ready to get out, and they'll observe, and figure out what they want to do um, so I had an intern in my office this one particular visit and in 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 those days what we would do we have a patient would sit in a chair in front of us and then we would take a meter that had a couple sets of thermocouple wires on it and we'd run it down the spine and we'd look for a heat differential because where we would find heat we knew that there was inflammation and where where there was inflammation we knew there's some type of mechanical malalignment there so um, I had a patient that I'd probably been seeing for about five years, and she was hard of hearing. I guess is how we say it in the South. Worse than me. <laughs> so she's sitting down. The intern's over here. <clears throat> open the gown up, and I'm I'm like, how, how's your back? Her name was Ethel, by the way. <laughs> Ethel. I said, Ethel, how's your back been doing? And it's it's complete silence. Like, Ethel, nothing. Pushing on her back, does that hurt at all? Nothing, no words. I knew she couldn't hear me, and he's looking. And I said, "Watch this." Said you've been a bad little girl. She turned around and he said, "No, I haven't." (laughs) And I just went slid down. And so, nevertheless to say, but the intern said, "I'm never going back to that place again." So. That was one, one highlight, and so I had to, had to straighten that whole thing. I said, I didn't know you could hear that good. She goes, of course I can. not <laughs> so, She didn't want you to just know. A, just a day on the job. Yeah. Just a day on the job. So you mentioned something
0: about a miracle, too.
2: Yes. Um,
0: I have no idea what you're going to say. So, yeah, but so go ahead.
2: this was probably about five, six years ago. We, Sylvie and I, well, man, it was longer than that, 13 years ago. We went up north to uh, Munns Park. I had just got a brand new truck. So what do you do do when you get a truck? You head up north, go camping. So she was pregnant at the time with my daughter Natalia. We had a little dog named Marvin. And so we loaded up in the truck, went up to a church retreat, and we camped out up there. And it was my first time camping in a long time. And this was on a whim. So we didn't have cushions. It was just a tent laying on rocks and a sleeping bag. That was it, old school. So,
0: and she was pregnant.
2: Yeah. Okay. It, it was it was a rough. You know, the dog was barking all night. She was pregnant, and I'm talking she was out like this. So, we uh, we didn't get any sleep that night. Next morning came. It was time to say goodbye. We jumped on I-17. We start heading south. We are just approaching the um, Sedona exit where the where there's like a rest stop right there, as you're heading south on I-17. And I told Sylvia. I said. Can you drive? And she's over like this. You know. I'm like, OK. Well, my dog's not going to drive. She's sleeping. I'm going to have to man up and, and make this. The next thing you know it, I wake up and this tremendous crash, this loudest thing I've ever heard. Um, and when I woke up, we were in the median on the side. The truck was totaled, uh, both airbags out. I looked over at Sylvia, and she was bleeding. I was bleeding. I was like, oh, this is not good. Um, and it was, it was like 110 degrees that day. It was very, very hot. So we were, people were trying to run over and get across the highway from the rest stop. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, we, we couldn't get out of the truck. We just couldn't get out. There's shade out of the blue. And it was this little old lady standing there with an umbrella. Like, who carries an umbrella around Arizona, right? <laughs> so, Little old lady. Uh, yeah, this little old lady. <laughs> was which asshole? It's kinda, it, I'm getting chilled. I'm, I'm going to drop the mic. I'm sweating right now. Um, so she's holding this umbrella over this and just talking in this gentle voice, calm us down. Um, I was worried about Sylvia losing the baby and just all these millions of things going through my mind. The Ambulance came. Um, so they finally got us out. The fire department got us out of the truck. They had to cut the truck out, the doors off, just to get us out. Uh, my dog was perfectly fine. Uh, we went to Cottonwood, went to the hospital. And, and I'll back up a little bit before. But we ended up going to the hospital, and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And so the the guys in the emergency room came in and said, "Listen, this it's not good. We cannot find a heartbeat." And we were like seven months going along here, so it was it was traumatic. We're sitting here trying to take this in. But to back things up a little bit, before the ambulance got us out, and this old lady standing there with an umbrella over us, um, you know, we we got taken out. She kind of disappeared, and, t- and as soon as the ambulance got there, she disappeared. And so. The police officer said, you ran into the back of somebody doing about 85 miles an hour, and there's a cliff all the way down on this side, and we ended up in the median, not going on the opposite side. So um, he said, we can't find who you hit. But this note was given to the fire department, and a note on a torn piece of napkin said, the angels will appear most when you need them. Wow. and it said, today is your blessed day. And so we still have that note to this day. And I was like, wow. So we ended up going to the hospital and couldn't find a, a heartbeat. So then we, we got emergency taken down to Phoenix. And next thing you know, there's a heartbeat. And everything everything was fine after that other than my total truck. But it, it was probably one of the most profound things that I've ever gone through. I mean, because I wasn't even charged with anything, because there was nobody that I hit, yet my truck was total. So if that doesn't put chills down your spine, yeah. know that there's angels around us yeah. all the time. I'll tell you, it was an eye opener for me. Wow.
0: I feel like it might be anticlimactic
2: if we have any more questions. Sorry about that. I should have reversed the order of those no, 2 right? I?
0: No, I think that's a great way to end. We're, we're pretty close to the ending time, so. Um, I really appreciate you guys coming in and doing this. Taking a Thursday night, I know you were really especially busy today. I'm, I, I know y- you must also uh, had to have. Aff- you're out on the west side. So busy. Right? Yeah, but you're on the west side, aren't you? Uh, Pings at 19th Avenue Peoria, so not too bad. Yeah, that's but... the west side. Okay. <laughs> if it's west of the 51. It's the west side, my okay. brother. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So okay. So appreciate you guys coming in and doing this. Um, let me pray for you guys, and then uh, we'll be done. And uh, if you could stick around a few minutes in case anybody does have any questions, wants to greet you, that would be great. So let me do this here. <clears throat> uh, Lord God, we're, uh, we're grateful for being able to gather as a, as a family of faith and be able to hear uh, stories of your goodness and of your sovereignty uh, and how uh, the gospel is real in all of our contexts in life. And God, I just pray a special blessing on on Mike and Sylvia and their family and on Eric and Tina and their family. God, thank you for the way they serve you. Uh, Thank you for the way they serve others. Thank you for the way they love you uh, and are willing to testify about that love. God, we ask you to bless them, and we ask that you would be given all the glory. We, We thank you, and we come to you by the power of your Holy Spirit, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen you guys thank uh, Eric and Mike, please, for coming tonight? Yeah. And thank you for coming tonight, and uh, we'll see you Sunday.